We're in a series called Fight, and a lot of, our, a lot of us are fighting against a variety of things today. But, um, so today we're going to talk more about fighting, and I think this wraps up this series. But um, it's about getting into the battle and choosing to fight really a spiritual battle. And we'll talk more about what that looks like today. And maybe you'll leave here today with a greater understanding of the battle that's, that's raging around us. So, but really what we're, what we're combating is this thing of complacency. Maybe, maybe you would call it apathy or we can call it passivity. Sort of words that mean generally the same thing. But, but complacency, let me, let me just give you what it really means. It, it's a state of mind where we're comfortable and we're comfortable with ourselves, maybe, and, and where we're at. And so we're no longer working to improve anything because we like where it is. That's called complacency. We're not fighting for a better world. And, and so we've stopped engaging some things because we like things where they are. Well, how many of you know that living in this day and age, that doesn't bode well because complacency really hurts um, forward progress, if, if you will. And so now's not the time to be complacent, man. When I, when I was a young father, um, you can ask Alicia to tell you the story better than me, but when I was a young dad and we had a few toddlers running around the house and I would come home from a hard day's work, I was, I was a production manager at the time and put in some, some long days and I would come home and and, um, you know, I, I know some of you dads are right like me. You want to come home and find your favorite chair and find your favorite sofa to crash on and watch Fox News or CNN or whatever. You, I, would, I would chill and I could get into the frame of mind that the toddlers could be getting into trouble around me. They could be fighting with one another as toddlers do. And I could honestly tune it out. It could be in the same room. They could even be throwing things at each other. God forbid, I know your toddler's never done that. But, but I could actually disengage and become complacent and have a spirit of passivity and just tune it out. And Elisa said to me one day, can you please just tune in? If the battles, they're your kids too, you know? And, and it's one, probably one of, our, one of our arguments that we had for a while until... I shed what I would call a spirit of complacency or a mindset of complacency. And like, like this battle that's raging around me is also my job to get engaged and do something about it. And so that I had to learn to, to be aware or to tune in to the battle raging around me. Like, I don't know if you know, like for this whole series, we had a stage backdrop that looks like a boxing ring, right? So maybe if the, the one camera could zoom out just enough that, you could see the, the, the boxing ring. Now, how many of you know that this chair doesn't belong in a boxing ring? This is out of place. I've never personally been in a boxing ring like Nick Aragon and people like that. Um, but I can tell you by watching boxing a little here and there that this doesn't belong in a boxing ring, right? Why? Because in a boxing ring, your stance is like this and you're ready to fight. You're ready to engage your opponent and and I could, how, how many of us, man, I, I can relate to this because I, I was in a battle, far less battle though with my toddlers and raising young kids, but I could in, in a sense be in a battle and tune out that, the, the fact that I'm chilling in the wrong place at the wrong time. Does that make sense? And so how many of us, how many of you are sitting comfortable when there's a battle to be fought? And... Um, are you even aware that there's a battle raging and, and largely ignoring it and wondering one, why, like being inactive instead of responsible? Um, well, we're at war. So, so we're in a spiritual war, right? And, and let me say this. It's a spiritual war but has physical implications. And I was thinking about that this week. Like, yeah, it's a spiritual battle. But how many of you know that Battles in the spirit, if we continue to, to engage in that, it has natural physical implications and ramifications and consequences of things that we see firsthand in the natural realm. Does that make sense? So let me just give you some scriptures to start out, and we'll talk more about what God is saying to us. In 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. So he's fighting. For something. He's fighting for something spiritual. And in this, this, in this verse, he's fighting for his faith. 
He says, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so are you fighting? Are you in that battle? Ephesians 6, 12 says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning people, humans, in other words, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers, and against rulers of the darkness of this age, and we're Resting against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And some of you, some of us have just taken this first couple words. It says, we don't wrestle. We do not wrestle. And that's your verse for the day. No, it says, we don't wrestle against humans, but we do wrestle. We do fight. We do engage in, a, in an enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. In John 10, the thief is characterized as Satan. And here he's called the thief. He says, he, says he comes not... The, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Where Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and more abundantly, Satan comes to bring the opposite. He likes to bring death, hell, and destruction in your life. And so when we refuse to engage in battle, first spiritually and then physically, the consequences can be devastating. And is passivity or complacency your normal? That's the question I'm asking you today to consider with your, your spouses and your families and even your kids. Is passivity and complacency your normal? And that's normal to you. Listen to Proverbs 1. I'm going to read Proverbs 1, 29 to 33. It says, because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord... They would have none of my counsel, and they despised my every rebuke, and therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way, and they shall be filled to the full with their own fancies, for the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me, says the Lord, will dwell safely, and will be secure, and without fear of evil." What am I saying? I'm saying that complacency can destroy you. I want to talk about, I want to talk about King David, and then I want to talk about Queen Esther. So stay tuned. I want to talk about two Old Testament characters as we read their stories and how, how different they might have responded to, to different things going on in their life and, and what God's saying to you today. I think God has a word in here for a lot of families right now. Um, in the day we're living. King David obviously was, a, was an awesome man of God. He was a man after God's own heart. He was used mightily. He was a warrior. He was, he was a lover of God, a follower. He, he, he knew how to hear the Lord and to act, but he did have moments of passivity and complacency or apathy. And I want to talk about that this morning, not to throw King David under the table, but he knew God and he did fall and God used him in a mighty way. And so God's using you as well. But I want to talk about some moments that he had. We read in 2 Samuel 11, verse 11, it says, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him. <clears throat> Meaning David didn't go, but he sent someone else. And, and, and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of, of, of Ammon, and they besieged um, Reba, another nation, it says, but David remained at Jerusalem. See, David got comfortable. He was the one leading all the battles until now. When the kings go out to war, let's just say, when kings go out to war, David was a king, right? But this time David didn't go. He sent someone else instead. He said, it's not my battle, not my time, not my place. I'm going to kick my feet up. Right like I'm doing right now, putting a chair, putting a sofa in a boxing ring and saying, my time to chill. And honestly, it wasn't David's time to chill because he was at home when everyone else was fighting for something, fighting for their nation, really, against the enemies of Israel. And this is when, as the story goes, I'm going to paraphrase, I don't have time to tell the whole thing. You can read it. You have plenty of time right now to read it, some of you. It says, he noticed... A woman, and, and her name was Bathsheba, bathing on the rooftop. I don't know what that says about her bathing on a rooftop. Uh, not a very good place to do that. But anyways, maybe that's what they did in those days. But he called for her because he thought she was beautiful. And basically, he slept with her. And some, some scholars would say that's rape because David had all the power and she had none. And um, we could go with that. But honestly, maybe she wanted to sleep with him. Most scholars would believe that she didn't. But nevertheless, he got her pregnant. Um, 
And King David, long story short, King, King David conspires to have the husband Uriah killed, you know, to cover up his sin, um, the fact that he slept with someone that, that he wasn't married to, that belonged to someone else. But basically after Nathan the prophet, he confronts David eventually, and he repents. And, and however, the consequences and issues seem to continue. It opens the door. I'm telling this story real quickly to say that complacency and apathy, when David started to prop his feet up, in the day of battle, it opened the door to a lot of problems and a lot of issues. And, and it seemed to get worse after that situation. Man, you read where that child that was conceived uh, dies and, and David mourned that, the death of that child. And they had more later. Of course, that's how King Solomon came to be. But, but that child dies. Later on, one of David's sons rapes his own sister. Um, there was trouble in David's household from Basically, from that day forward, if you read the stories. And David did nothing about that either. Uh, he had apathy and complacency. He was passive even about that situation. I, mean, I don't know what you would do if things like that happened in your household, but I would be enraged. I would be like, come on, governing authorities, man, arrest this child of mine who carries on like that. But another one of David's sons, because David did nothing, another one of David's sons named Absalom eventually kills the son who raped his sister. They talk about trouble in your household. Um, that same son, Absalom, and later, and I'm paraphrasing some of these stories and I'm rushing through them for the sake of time, but, but that same son, Absalom, he commits treason against David later on, and he actually runs David the king out of town in order to usurp his authority and become king himself. And that same evil son, um, filled with unforgiveness, filled with bitterness, and filled with rage, um, he actually rapes every single one of David's wives at the time. It's a horrible story. One, one that you just want to glance over and go, man, that doesn't even seem possible. I can't believe that's in the Bible. But talk about havoc, reap, uh, re, reaping havoc in your, in your family and in your kingdom. Well, David does eventually get the kingdom back. Listen, God does continue to use David. I don't want, I don't want you to, to feel like, oh, <laughs> throw him under the bus and now God. No, that, that's, not, that's not God's nature. God still used David. But listen, there was troubles and there was issues and there was upheaval. And can we say a variety of conflict situations in that day? And a lot of scholars believe it's because when David started to chill, when David allowed himself to become complacency. Can I just say this? Complacency can carry a huge price tag and allow things to happen in your life that you should have fought against. I wonder how often David looked back on that spring day when the army started marching through town on their way out to annihilate the enemy's camp, and he didn't go along. Man, I wonder if he looked back many, many times on that day and said, why didn't I go? Why didn't I do what other kings do and what, what I've done every time before that as I was leading that charge? And this time he didn't. He was chilling back in Jerusalem. And um, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that he thought about that. But I wonder if he ever looked back and said, man, I, don't, I wish I wouldn't have propped my feet up. So... Well, hey, you didn't let me in your home just to depress you today, <laughs> just to challenge you. I want to talk about I want to talk about Queen Esther because I feel like God's speaking a word to us in this season and those of us who need it. And and I want to contrast Queen Esther's response when you read her in the Old Testament stories and gain principles from her life. Um, whereas David didn't respond well in some situations, um, even though God used him mightily in other situations. Let's look at Queen Esther. I want, I want to tell you about just a backdrop because Queen Esther um, was living, she was taken with her first cousin, Mordecai is his name. They were a conquered nation. They were held in captive in, in, the, in, the, in the land of Persia. Now, Persia was ruled by King Ahasuerus, I believe it's pronounced, and he had conquered the Jewish nations at that time. What they did when they conquered nations is they brought, they brought um, I don't know, caravans of people, hauled them off to their own cities and their own lands and said, you're a conquered nation. You have to live here among these people that were your enemies. And that's what they used to do at that time. Then they would take people from their own lands and go live in the Jewish country and populate it. And so they would try to assimilate 
the nations into their own lands. And so Esther and her first cousin Mordecai were hauled off to a city called Shushan. And this, this king, Ahasuerus, man, he ruled over 27 provinces all the way from India to Ethiopia. And he over, his kingdom was, was huge, over millions and millions of people and a large plots and plots of land in the time. But that's where they had to live. And so they were, they were just wanting to... Uh, um, Tell them to just to live life, and they were allowed to marry. They were allowed to have kids and all that, but they, they were a conquered people. The Jewish people were a conquered nation. Um, basically, this king, he got rid of his first wife because she didn't obey him. That's another long story, but she didn't do what he wanted her to do. And, um, and he said, out with you, and uh, cast her out from his kingdom. And something kings could do back then if they wanted to. Well, basically, they searched the kingdom for a new wife. And so Esther, it seems to be like when finding Esther was everything that he ever wanted. And so he made her his new queen. The new queen of Persia became Esther. And, um, and, and the Bible says that basically overnight, you know, within a short amount of time, the king has a new queen. And it's a and, and it's young Esther, even though she was still a girl at the time or, or believed to be. Esther was actually still hiding the fact that she was Jewish and the king didn't know that at the time. And she kept it secret for a long time. Did you know, did you know that uh, there was actually uh, two different things that Esther did, two different plots that she uncovered and God used her twice in the stories of Esther. The first one was see, see Mordecai, her first cousin, was living in the city, but Esther's now living in the palace. And, and one day, they, he uncovered a conspiracy to kill the king. And you hear it in, in Esther chapter 2, 21 to 23. It says, in those days, while Mordecai, Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs named Bigthan and Teresh, they were doorkeepers for the king. They became furious and they sought to lay hands on king Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, his first cousin, who's inside the palace, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name, and when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on the gallows. Done. Esther jumped to it. She said, I'm going to save the king's life. That's now my husband. And she, she got the word out, and his life was spared, because those people that were, were, had access to the king could have killed him. At least they were, consp they were conspiring to do so. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, you're starting to see the spirit of Esther, the mindset of Esther is to jump to it. Jump to it. It's my battle. It's not someone else's problem. I'm going to get the word out, and I'm going to save the king's life. Later in chapter 3, we read about a whole other kind of plot, and this one's even, uh, even worse. It's, it's even bigger. Um, but one of the king's evil cronies, his name is Haman, um, basically like a Hitler type dude. Um, as you'll see, he was conspiring to kill all the Jews in the land. Ma matter of fact, what really annoyed him is that they worshiped their own God. Does sound familiar to some other Bible stories you know? But Haman, I mean, Haman was really annoyed that Mordecai being a Jew wouldn't bow down and basically worship him. They used to want them to bow down and pay homage like that when they would walk through town and and. Mordecai said, I, I don't do that. You know, I worship, I worship God. Well, that didn't just annoy him about Mordecai. Haman set out to say, I want all the Jews destroyed. They don't belong here. I would like if the, the entire nation of captive Jews would be destroyed from this city and from this land. And that's what the plot was to do. In Esther 3, 6, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. Well, again, Mordecai gets the word to Esther. You know what Esther's first response was? It was a little bit of fear, but she had to meditate a little. She said, you know the law, if I go before the king, I can die. Now, now this time, it's, it seemed like she, she hesitated just a bit. Mordecai said, well, well, if you don't, you'll die anyway, since the plan is to kill all the Jews. And Esther, you're Jewish. They're going to find out at some point that you're Jewish, and you'll die as well. So whether you go before the king now and die, or whether you don't because you're passive, you're gonna, you might die eventually anyway because you're part of the Jewish nation. And we read in Esther 4.15, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maidservants and I will fast likewise. And so I'll go to the king which is against the law, technically, and if I perish, 
I perish. And I like what, I like her attitude. I like her, her do or die mentality. Suddenly she's like, if I perish, I perish, but I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to get into the battle and do my part, even if it means that I die doing it. But it wasn't her just being flippant, like, maybe I'll die. Well, let's go die. She, she also didn't have a martyr spirit, like trying to get herself killed. She wasn't trying to get herself killed to make a name for herself either. But she was simply doing what she believed was the right thing to do at the time. Well, the long story short, again, I have to paraphrase these stories because they're long. They're, there's a lot more details. But Esther did go before the king, and the king did not. She was, she was a a favorite in his eyes, even though he had many wives, uh, we believe, but, but she didn't die, and she got the word, and eventually the king's eyes were open to the plot to kill all the Jews, and he realized that she herself was a Jew, and that didn't seem to sway the king, man. When he found out, it says at the end of the story um, that Haman, when, when it was uncovered what plot he had, and he actually got hung on his own gallows that he built for the Jews to be hung on. And isn't that an amazing story? But <clears throat> kind of gruesome, I know. But, but honestly, the enemies of God were destroyed, the, the ones that were trying to destroy God's kingdom at the time. Man, I want to tell you, so what's the word? The, I, think, I think that the word that I'm hearing in my spirit, Lifeway family, is that, is that God is releasing by the Holy Spirit a, a boldness like Esther and the spirit of wisdom like Mordecai, and those two spirits, mindsets go together. Boldness and wisdom in this day are being released to the people of God. It's not just doing whatever you feel led to do with boldness necessarily uh, without wisdom. Does that make sense? And so we need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to act boldly in these days and to not fall back. Man, man, there is a all-out rejection of passivity right now. And I believe the Holy Spirit's convicting many of you just like he did. Man, it's the, the days of sitting back on our haunches or relaxing on our sofas are over. And things like this virus and things that are happening across our nation that we didn't, you know, we didn't plan for, I'm going to tell you one thing. It's crushing passivity, and it causes you to wake up and to be aware. And families are discovering the state of the household. And families are discovering the state of their children. And families are either, it's either making your marriage worse or making it better. <laughs> and I talked to somebody that said, I'm, I'm kidding you not, I talked to two different people in the same week. One said their marriage is worse, and another one said their marriage is much better <laughs> because they're, they're home right now with their wife, they're falling in love again, and someone else the very same day said, there's more contention in my household. Well, guess what? God's getting rid of passivity, and it's time for you to fight for what you want. And it's time for you to take a stand and to fight against the enemies in your camp uh, or the enemies that are coming against you to kill, steal, and destroy, whatever it is. And people may not be out to get your life. I'm not talking about it's the same battle necessarily, but there's battles that are raging, right? And they're out to destroy your family and they're out to bring contention and bring divisiveness and to, to, to bring those kinds of things that are, that are almost unseen, but they're felt in the natural realm. They're felt in front of you but it starts with battling spiritually. Man, there's a spirit of boldness along with the spirit of wisdom being released to the people of God for this day. And I, I believe it's on you. I believe it's on us. So what are the battles? Man, man what, what should we do then, um, Pastor Vern? How do I engage in the battle? I'm, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. That's, I'm, I'm glad to tell you because I feel like so many of us are going, well, I don't know how to battle this way. I don't know what I'm fighting for or against. And so back to my sofa, turn on Fox News. But um, listen, I, I believe that God gave me a word just this week. And it, it was a word for me, but it's always a word for us, right? And it starts with Romans 14, 17. It says this, for the kingdom of God... It's not eating or drinking, because that's the stuff they would argue about in their day. But it's righteousness, and it's peace, and it's joy. I'm going to repeat that. The kingdom of God looks like righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, it says. Now, if we have an enemy and he's battling, he's battling against what makes the kingdom of God the kingdom of God. And he doesn't want to see righteousness or peace or joy 
resident in your life, anywhere, anytime, in any place. He hates the fact that you walk in righteousness. He can't stand that you're walking in peace, even in the day of battle, and he can't stand that you have joy. So in your life right now, is there areas that lack righteousness? We'll talk about that. I can't overcome this sin nature. Is there areas of your life where you're lacking peace? Is there areas of your life where joy seems to elude you? That's your battle. And I don't have to tell you where it's at because you know. You know the areas of your life where sin has dominated and mastered those areas, maybe addiction of some sort. You just simply, that's your battle. Why are you sitting on your sofa making friends with your enemy? And you know the areas of your life that lack peace, It's anything but peace. It looks like everything else but the spirit of peace. That belongs to you. That's part of you when when you're in the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean everything's okay, but it means that you should be experiencing a peace and a resident joy. I don't know that it's you're able to experience the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit when righteousness is missing. And, And when peace and joy are missing, there's just a lot of other areas of your life that seem to be that seem to be in in chaos, right? And so let me just, let's just break it down in the few minutes we have left here where, where you can walk away from this thing with, I want you to walk away with hope because this battle can be fought and this battle can be won. And, but I can't come into all of your homes because if there's at least 800 people watching right now, it, the battle could look different for every person. But I believe it will probably fit into one of these categories because that's what the enemy hates. He hates the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what he's trying to steal from us and trying to steal from you. Amen. Well, let's talk about righteousness real quick. First Timothy 6.11, but you, O man of God, Paul says, flee from these things. And pursue righteousness. Now I'm pausing to say, have you pursued righteousness? Or is it a flippant, well, you know, since I can't seem to overcome this, I've tried a few things and I've read my Bible and prayed a little. Yeah, but are you actually pursuing and fighting for righteousness? Godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness, he says in that scripture. Are you actually pursuing? And I think that's what differentiates a true follower of Jesus Christ from those who are not followers of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you're perfect and you've won every battle yet to be fought, but the battle of righteousness has been fought for you. Jesus said, I conquered death, hell, and the grave, and I give you righteousness. I give you the ability, it's called grace, the ability to overcome the sin nature. And when, and when we put ourselves back into that place where we say, Jesus, you are my righteousness. I believe that I receive the Holy Spirit when I say yes to Jesus. Well, have you done that? And if so, then there's a grace given to you because the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you, people of God. And that is the grace and the ability to overcome the evil one. You can say no to the sin nature and yes to the righteous nature of Jesus Christ. It's a journey. I understand that it doesn't always happen the day you say yes to Jesus, but there's battles along the way where we we continually fight for what's ours and righteousness is ours. Does that make sense? And so are you in right standing with the Lord? Have you taken Jesus as your Lord and Savior being, being made new and said, he is my Lord, he is my Savior. And I believe that the Holy Spirit lives within me and is helping me to battle unrighteousness in my day. There's a lot of you, I know because I've talked to many of you, that, that are making excuses for your sin and making friends with it, so to speak. And that's not the nature of Christ. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect tonight, perfect tomorrow, perfect the next day, but re-engage in the battle for your righteousness and the nature of Christ being made alive within you. So that meant you call ourselves Christians because that in the, in, in the day they, they said they, they look like little Jesus is running around. That's what it looked like to them. They, they look like Jesus and another person. <laughs> and they said they look like a whole bunch of little Christs. <laughs> and that's what we're supposed to look like. Christianity should look like something. And we need to contend, though, for this thing called righteousness. So I'm gonna, I want to submit James 4, 7 to you. James 4, 7 says, therefore submit to God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Man, church, that isn't passive. That is not, that is the opposite of passivity. It means you can resist. Resistance looks like fighting and doing something to get the devil out of your life and closing the door. I was talking to someone a while back and, and they were wrestling against the spirit of pornography. Basically, it's a spirit of lust. It comes out in you know, sexual addiction, things like that. And as we're talking, I was saying, well, have you put things like covenant eyes or some other porn blocker on your gadgets, on your computer and on your phone? He's like, oh no, I don't know if I believe in those things and they can, people can get around it. And I said, oh, have you done this? Have you shut the door here and stop looking at that and stuff? You know, and everything that I would suggest, he said, no, no, I, I haven't done that and I'm not gonna do that. I don't think that those things actually work. And I, then I said, well, if you're not gonna fight, then make friends with it, you know, and, and it, was, it was a crazy conversation, but it was like a passive conversation. Like, I want to get rid of this thing, but I don't want to fight. Well, then give me, your, give me your gadgets and I'll take a sledgehammer to them. If that's what makes you stumble, then get rid of the things that make you stumble. Well, I can't live without a smartphone. Actually, people have lived without smartphones for literally thousands and thousands of years. And so if it's whatever's making you stumble, it's like, it's like telling the alcoholic that he should be able to get free while living in a bar or sitting beside a liquor cabinet without a key, an open liquor cabinet. Well, get free, get free. No, remove the temptation. You are not your temptation and your sin is not your temptation. But when you continually fill your life with temptation and then you're not free, you wonder, you wonder why, and I, I don't wonder why, but you wonder why, right? So sorry, sorry if, I be, if I sound mean right now, <laughs> I try to sound mean. I'm trying to say that there's a tenacity coming to the body of Christ to shut the door and to say yes to righteousness and to close the doors, whatever that looks like, and to run the other direction. Resisting the devil looks like something. Get rid of temptation in your life and don't go there, Amen. I know it's easier said than done, but I, I, want, I want to know that we're here to battle with you. It's, I'm not flippantly saying this. I know that it's a journey for a lot of people, but we're here to battle with you. <clears throat> Ask for prayer. Ask for counsel. Ask for, you know, to meet with a good Christian therapist or whatever ever it takes. Confess your sins to someone that you trust and, 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 and get open about it. Get humble and find help. Amen, somebody? All right. Let's expose the roots of evil and the traps of the enemy, and together we can fight for righteousness that belongs to us. So <clears throat> let's talk about peace. Do you have peace in your life? Where in your life do you lack peace? John 16, 33 says, these things have I spoken to you that in me, Jesus said, me, you may have peace. If you have Jesus, you actually have the spirit of peace living inside of you. How do you like that? He actually dwells within you. And I know that you're in some crazy times and facing some turmoils and facing some decisions going forward, whether, you know, I've been thinking more about the, you know, the state of the economy than the virus itself recently because, um, well, I don't know, maybe because I'm not that worried about personally dying from the virus or, or getting sick, although I've thought about it a lot. But, um, and I, I'm not flippantly thinking, thinking, taking that flippantly, but the state of the economy, man, and I go, wow, we're facing some, some decisions, some battles, and if, you know, businesses don't start up, but Jesus Christ living within me is, is at peace because he knows that, you know, and I had to return this week, just like many of you, I had to return to my prayer closet, my, my quiet time before the Lord and say, Jesus, I need your peace that passes understanding. When I look at my battle, look at our battles that we're facing in many in the church today, I go, you can still give me peace in the middle of it. And I think, let, let me just finish reading that verse because you want to have the whole thing. It says, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer I have overcome the world, Jesus said. He basically says, cheers, I've overcome that. That what you're facing, I've overcome that too. Yeah, but, yeah, I've overcome that. And before you say another thing, whatever it is, yeah, but I've overcome the world, literally everything. I've overcome that too. Cheers, y'all. <laughs> Dwell in Jesus and hear what he's saying. Man, I, I think personally, 
that the way to find inner peace, especially in the day of turmoil, is to look at John 10, 27, one of my favorite verses. I'll probably say it in a thousand sermons from here on out. But it says, Jesus said again, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I don't know how you find peace if you don't know the voice of God. Because it returns you to a place of hearing what God's saying to you, about you, about your situation. When you're lacking that, you can think whatever you want to. You can think whatever you please because you don't have the word of the Lord in your spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within you so that you have the voice of God in the seasons when you need it. we, We practice the voice of God when we're not in a season of battle so that in the day of battle we have the voice of God, right? And so we need it continually. Return to that. If you don't have it, it belongs to you. You've been created to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit living within you. It belongs to you and you can. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't hear God. You don't have to be a prophet, preacher, evangelist. You just need to be a follower of Jesus and you will hear his voice. You're created to hear. Amen. We'll talk more about that in series coming up. But I just want you to know that today. I want you to carve out quiet time. Because you, you should be the Esther in your day and the Mordecai that says, I have boldness and I have wisdom to turn off the news, to turn off all the negative voices, to turn off the noise nowadays and find that quiet time where we seek the Lord uh, together for our family. I dare you to do it today, yeah. and I hope you're doing it right now. Let, let the Holy Spirit in those seasons flood your spirit with peace and turn on some worship music, some meditation music. You know, sit and quiet your spirit. That's not easily done in this day and age. It's almost a lost art. Man, the old saints that we read about and they've written books about meditation are almost foreign in our modern culture. Meditation looks like you with a smartphone gadget in front of you, you know, or you can download 3,000 sermons today. You can download even more worship songs today, and I'm all for that. But there's times when you need to quiet yourself and be alone with the Holy Spirit. What does that look like to you? I, mean, I, I need that. I need to just turn it all off and listen to the Spirit within. Sometimes I'll play just instrumental music in the background. and Anyway... How are you fighting for peace right now? The enemy's trying to rob you of it. Well, how about joy? Do you have joy? Do you have joy in the day of battle? Well, that's a little strange. You want me to be happy? Well, it's not necessarily happiness that I'm talking about, although I hope you're happy. But joy is like an inner strength, if I could say it that way. I believe it's an inner knowing and an inner peace that God's on the throne and you're not. Does that make sense? I think, I think it's probably the best way... You know, the, where it says the joy of the Lord is your strength, it comes from a place in Nehemiah, actually. I actually thought it was in the Psalms for many years, but it's actually from Nehemiah. It's actually from 8.10. Then he said to them, Nehemiah said to his people, go your way and eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions of those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you're like, what? What is going on with, what's going on with those people? Well, see, they had just returned from captivity, being held captive. God's people had gotten out of captivity, had just returned, and they were turning their hearts back to the Lord. And they, get this, if you read the, 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 the story, you can see that the people were sorrowful because they thought God was still angry with them. <laughs> Do you think God's angry? You can't have the joy of the Lord. Listen, I'm going to say this very slowly because it hit me so hard this week. You cannot experience the joy of the Lord if you picture an angry God. I don't think it's possible. He says he sits in the heavens and laughs at his enemies. Is God full of joy? I think that he is. I don't think that he's worried about the same things that we're worried about, even in our trials and tribulations. I think there's an inner peace. I think there's an inner joy that looks like righteousness. And I think that we can experience him and his nature that way. I think that he's still smiling over you. Man, I had, on Wednesday night, I was filled with so much joy. I I have to tell you about it, man. Slight deviation from my notes here, but... um, a long-lost friend reached out to me through Facebook, and my, my friend Brian 
we had gone to Bible school together back when I was in my 20s and Brian was there. We became best friends almost, almost right away. We went to class together every day and we, we experienced outstations together. That was outreaches that we did and we experienced God together. We used to sit up, honestly, we used to sit up way past midnight you know, way, way after the dorm said lights out, he would sneak to my room and we would continue studying together and continue talking about the things of God and what it means for us today. And we were just very, very hungry back in those days. And my, my best friend, Brian Adama, and after Bible school, he was in my wedding. He was there when I, I said yes to marrying, making Alicia my wife. And and I lost track of him after that because he just strayed away from God and he just became, you know, maybe complacent, maybe passive. But things happened in his life that, um, I don't know, but he just wasn't uh, following God back then. I think he still believed, but he just wasn't following. And he, out of, the, out of the blue, he's messaging me this week, Vern, can we talk? And I said, Wednesday night's open, let's talk. And so at 7 o'clock, I sat down here in my office and I talked to Brian for two hours. And he, he's, he's back following the Lord. He's back with you know, just with flying colors, if I could say it that way, man. I was talking to him going, he's preaching to me. He's revealing scripture to me. And it felt like old times, man. He's, he's quoting things from Isaiah and he's telling me about the scriptures that he's got posted on his wall in his house and he's battling up in Rochester, New York. Brian, I love you, man. If you're out there right now, God is bringing the prodigals back home, the sons and daughters back home into the kingdom. And we're here going, welcoming like the father, welcoming the prodigal son and saying, welcome home, man. I said to Brian on the phone, I said, welcome home to the father's house. And, and, and I reminded him of what we talked about when the new year started, man. Jimmy and I were having conversation online. We had church online before. Church online was that popular. And we said, we said God's going to bring the prodigals back home this year. And man, you heard the stories about Elaine's son coming back to Jesus. And yeah. I don't know if you know this, but I, I think I said this before, but the Wednesday before that, I was meeting with another dude in my office when we were still allowed to meet face to face. And that was a prodigal coming back home. And we just got a message in our church emails, um, actually a, a prayer request last night that from someone that said, I need to come back to the Lord. And so I'm emailing them and saying, it's as easy as saying, you know, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved and pray to him. And he, he hears you. Brian, Brian, uh, um, I was so filled with the joy of the Lord. You know, you know, it says that when someone comes back to Jesus, it says that the angels rejoice, the heavens rejoice. Do you think God rejoices? And he is both joy. He cares about your every problem, but he's still a God of joy. Because he can see the bigger picture. He can see what's happening in our nation, in our land. Many, many people are turning back to the Lord. And that fills, uh, I was filled with so much joy. I, I called Alicia as soon as I got off the phone with Brian. And I said, I am so filled with the joy of the Lord right now. I can hardly stand it. Now, I don't know if I should laugh or cry. But um, I think I did both actually at the same time, if that's possible. But um, I think that Jesus feels the same way right now when he sees all these people coming in. Anyway, are you filled with joy? If not, why not? Because it should still be there in some level because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Acts 20, 24 says, but none of these things move me, Paul says. I'm like, really, Paul? None of these things? I mean, he experienced persecutions and beatings and all that kind of stuff. And welcome to apostleship, amen. He said, none of these things move me nor do I count my life dear to myself. <laughs> I can hardly read this and not pause to meditate, Selah. He says, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. Well, that sounds like living in the kingdom, doesn't it? And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of of God. And that's the race that Paul was running. That's the race that we're called to run. Man, it's time for us to stand up. Matter of fact, I'm going to stand up and get out of my complacency right now. This chair didn't even belong in a boxing ring, but I want you to get over the awkwardness and stand up with me as I close today because right there in your household, I want you to get off your lazy boy. <laughs> I want you to get off your sofa. Maybe you're watching at the kitchen table. I want you to stand with me. I want you to do something like a prophetic act of standing and saying, I'm going to get into position. Man, God, I'm going to repeat myself. God is releasing Esther 
Mordecai, the spirit of Esther, the spirit of Mordecai. God's releasing boldness, tenacity, along with the spirit of wisdom for his church today. And you're part of that. You're part of that kingdom. They were fighting for a kingdom, but we are too. We're fighting for a kingdom that looks like righteousness, peace, and joy. I don't know exactly what your battle looks like, but there's a battle raging around you because the enemy's not gonna let you alone. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But you can say, no, no. Man, I'm, I resisted the devil and I got him. Listen, I got him to flee from me. And there's people, and I talked about, I talked about my good friend, Brian. I just feel like I got my best friend back this week. How about you? You know, there's people in your families that you're contending for. Maybe that's your battle. Some of you are actually listening right now to church online. Some of you for the first time and you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. Well, today's your day. And we're reading story after story after story of people saying yes to the Lord and coming back to the Lord. And God's using these viruses and things and these fears and things like that to cause people to cry out for Him. Maybe you don't even need that. You, you just know that you need Jesus. Maybe it's not because of fear, but it's because you need life and you need life more abundantly. And Jesus promises to give you that even in the day of trouble. You can have life. You can have righteousness, peace, and joy in the name of Jesus. Is that you today? Some of you are listening. You need to respond somehow. Well, what's really cool, what's really cool is this online platform that we're using has a response button. And we heard of the other Sunday, 28,000 people responded on that button. And it, the button says, raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You could click on that. I want you to do that right now if that's you. But before it crashed last Sunday, they did that. We got <laughs> in our studio right now, we got two responding. All righty. Well, welcome to the kingdom. <laughs> welcome, to, welcome to a life in Christ. There's many more of you that need to respond right now. You need Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You need to claim Him and get into the battle. It's time for you to get off your chair. It's time for you to get up off that sofa. It's time for you to get out of the house, so to speak, and to get involved in the battle that's raging in our culture. It's time for you to do something. And you know where that battle is. I don't, I don't know exactly where all your battles are. Some of you are battling against addiction. I'm asking you not to give up. Try something different. Try something new. Reach out to us so we can get you into an, an AA program. Jimmy's saying there's four. Jimmy's in the studio with us. There's four people that said yes to Jesus right now. Some of you are just fighting for your marriage. Well, there's grace upon you to fight for that marriage. I actually know of two, actually three marriages that God saved this year because Alicia and I were involved in their marriages. And they said, yeah, we're gonna fight for this. We believe that it's possible for us to still be in love and do it God's way. And at the beginning of this year, I was, con I was actually convinced, this sounds bad for a pastor, I was convinced that some of those marriages were doomed. I feel bad saying that. I didn't say that out loud. I felt, oh my, oh my goodness, this is nasty. This is crazy stuff. But God in His mercy, rescued these people and they are more in love today than they ever were. And it's possible for you. With God, all things are possible, all things. Some of you are fighting for your kids. Some of you are fighting for righteousness. Well, I don't know what sin is hitting you. I don't know what temptation is falling upon you today, but you're fighting. You need to say yes to Jesus, get back into the battle. There's more people that need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. You click that button right now. It's right there in front of you. If, you. if you don't see a button to click and you can't do it, I want you to email us at connect at lifewaychurch.life and you can tell us and we'll pray for you. We'll send you a letter of how to get engaged and how to stay engaged. And when we're able to meet face to face again, we'll, we'll meet up with you if, if at all we can, if you're from this area anyway. You might be in Puerto Rico watching somewhere. I don't know where all of you are right now. And you, I know that people watch us from other states. And, um, we had someone watching us the other night from Granada. Well, if you're in Granada watching us and the, the family's over there and you need Jesus, you click that button too. We'll, be, we'll pray for you wherever you are. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit is unlimited? He's not limited to a time. He's not limited to a, a space and a place. He can reach you wherever you're at. Click that button, say yes to Jesus. I wanna pray. I wanna pray for all of you. I pray for everyone in the sound of my voice right now, whether you're online with us right now, whether you watch it later, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna pray that the spirit of boldness, spirit of wisdom, 
spirit of tenacity is gonna crush passivity in your household and in your life. Stand with me. This is not the day to sit in the boxing ring. This is not the day to rest your laurels in the day of battle. This is the day to go out to battle. Lord Jesus, just just raise your hand, extend your hand toward the screen or whatever platform you're watching us right now. Just, Just extend your hand. I want you just to agree with me, get into receiving mode, if that makes sense. Lord, I release upon your people a spirit of boldness like Esther, a spirit of wisdom like Mordecai, and the ability to hear your voice, Lord, in the day of trouble, to know what to do, how to do it, how to go about it, and that passivity would be crushed that apathy would be crushed, that we're a fight nation. We're ready in the day of battle to fight the spiritual battles that are raging all around us and that are your people, Lord, today would not hold back in the day of trouble. They would get involved where they can and where you tell them to get involved. God's placing boldness upon a lot of you right now to reach your family members for the sake of the gospel. Don't be surprised when some of you, some of the people that you thought were far from God and would never come back, that they start asking you questions about the kingdom that you're living in, about Jesus. You might lead them to Christ, but honestly, God is doing some sovereign things. They might call you up right now and say, I just accepted Jesus. Like, I didn't even, I wasn't even praying for Brian specifically. He just called me and said, I am following Jesus again. I didn't have the opportunity of leading him back to the Lord. He just did because the Holy Spirit knows how to reach people where they're at. Matter of fact, Rochester is mostly shut down like New York City. Then he's in his house. He can't go out. He can't go to church if he wanted to. He's, there's churches online up there just like here. But the Holy Spirit got him anyway. Holy Spirit is reaching people where they're at. He's unlimited. He's unlimited. Amen. Lord, I release the spirit of boldness. I release the spirit of tenacity. I release you, Holy Spirit, to do your work. Wisdom, wisdom on your people in Jesus' name. Now, now I wanna pray a prayer of salvation. We can all pray it. Pray it with me. It doesn't mean if you're praying it for the, the hundredth time. But for those that need to say yes to Jesus, I wanna lead you in a prayer so that you can walk away from here going, I know that I gave my life to Jesus. Just just repeat after me, say, dear Jesus, I make you and I call you my Lord and my Savior. I need you, Lord. I confess all of my sins and I receive your forgiveness for my sins. Say, Holy Spirit, I invite you into my life, into my spirit, And I want to be led. I want you to guide and direct my steps, Holy Spirit. I give my life to you. Now just thank him. Say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for having me in your kingdom, for inviting me into your kingdom for such a time as this. I want to fight alongside my brothers and my sisters. I want to get into a stance that is proper for the days that we're in. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.